Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Have your way this day, God. Everything, Lord God, that's going to take place, we need you. Touch us, God. I have, I know that you will, Lord God. I have faith in you, and I ask you to do it and accomplish it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Praise God. I want to welcome each and every one of you here. I have something I want to speak on with the Lord's help. And so if you will, if you have your Bibles, uh, which I hope you do, uh, turn with me in the book of Deuteronomy to, to the chapter of 17 and... We'll look at uh, verse, we'll start at verse 14. What this is going to be pertaining to is, this is, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's basically Moses standing up to the children of Israel and saying, God has chosen me, I've led you out of Egypt, but I can't go with you. And you're going on to the promised land but this is a recap of everything that you've went through and your instructions for going in. So he's telling them of what they're going to encounter, everything that God has did for them, and he's just saying, don't forget. When you go into this land, don't forget. And he's telling them that in chapter 17, or starting with verse 14, he says, if and when down the road that you get, Israel gets where they want a king, this is the guideline that you must go by. And the title that I want to choose is just compromise, really, at what price? And really, when it comes to us as Christians, when you read of everything the Lord went through, everything that God anointed his writers to write about, the heartbeat of the church is no compromise. And but... It's been said so many times before by us, by me, by other ministers. It's just we live in the real world. We live with real pressures. And it's just so easy sometimes just not give in, but just let up a little bit. And But the heartbeat of this is don't give in none. Don't give in none. Don't give up none. You got. You just can't do that because if you give an inch, then an inch and a sixteenth is going to be required of you basically tomorrow to give up. So what Moses is telling them basically is that down the road, God in his wisdom says, I'm your king, don't look no one else. Israel has already gotten in trouble for this when God was leading and guiding them by the fire by night and the cloud by day. And Israel said, no, we want a man to lead us. And God said, no, I, I have been leading you. And then, but 
God is just telling Moses, he anoints Moses to write this. If and when they do this, this is what you do. And, and I'm just going to read it in sections. Verse 14 starts like this. When thou art coming to the land which the Lord thy God giveth to, that's chapter 17, verse 14. The Lord thy God giveth thee, and thou shalt possess it, and thou shalt dwell therein, and thou shalt say, I will set a king over me, like all the other nations round about that are about me. Now, they was in Egypt, the Bible says, 430 years. And really, God chose them truly to be a nation unlike other nations. And here they're saying, we want a king over us that we may be like other nations. Other words, we want to be like the world. We want to give in. We want to be like other nations. We want a king. They have a king. We want a king. So that's what they're saying. This is what I want to do. But the 430 years, and this is what amazes me. They was there 430 years, all the heartache, all the trouble, all the blood that was shed there, all the bodies that was buried in Egypt, they've come out. They're only down the road. Uh, what I get, 370 years that they've went. They was in Egypt, 430, 430 years. The time frame I come up with is 370 years. Now they're saying, but this is just the point, if and when is where we're at right now. So then verse 15 Thou shalt in any wise set, set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren thou shalt set king over thee, that thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. God said, first and foremost, I'm going to pick the king. If you get, that's why preachers has told us all our Christian life, careful what you ask for. If you repeatedly go to your closet and ask God for something you do not spiritually need, and you just keep going and keep going and keep going, don't be surprised one day if you get it. But don't think it's God's will. Now, this is almost a paradox for me. I don't know, I don't really have an answer for this. I mean, it's going to take somebody with a whole lot more wisdom than me to answer this. But God said, if and when you demand a king, I'm going to be the one that chooses a king, not you. That is the stipulation that Moses is telling Israel. If you get where I want to compromise, I want to be like the world, so to speak, God said, I'm going to choose the king. That's going to be the stipulation. I got to be the one that chooses the king. 16, and he shall not multiply horses to himself nor cause a people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses for as much as the Lord has said unto you, listen, you shall henceforth return no more that way. Now, first he said, he shall not multiply horses. First and foremost, God said, look back at everything I've done for you. Look at everything. As we walk, this Christian walk, I mean, this earth is all we know. This life is all we know. And we judge everything by what we see. And at times, literally, that can get us in trouble because this Bible says that we must walk this Christian walk 
by faith. But all we know is by sight. We judge everything by sight. I am so, I will tell you this, my mother, she's sitting right there. I was 33 before I would even eat squash. I was born in the country. I didn't like the way it looked. Now I'll eat it all the time. She kept telling me, you need to try this. I just didn't like the way it looked. That is just the way we are. You might not be that way. I'm that way. If I don't like the way it looks, we judge people. You might not. I do. We judge people. If we don't like the way they look, then that's the way we judge them. But Paul said, this is a walk by faith. And he says, you do not need to go multiply horses to yourself because you're going to put your trust in a military might and that is not, you're, you're losing it. God said, think back to the battles that you looked with your own eyes and you think, there's no way we can get out of this. And God proved to you time and time again that if you will let me, me be the one that gets you out of this, I'll do it. But if you multiply horses unto yourself, then you're going to think that your king is the one that's getting you out of this. When God is the one that's going to get you out of this, then you're going to start looking with your eyes and thinking, you know what? We're doing this. And God said, no, I'm going to be the one that does this. You can't do this. You can't multiply horses to yourself. As simple as that thought was. Now, what I want you to do, this phrase, you shall henceforth return no more that way. Now, there's a verse in Exodus. I'm going to jump back to it that says like this. Exodus 12, 41. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass at all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Now, what makes that unique is what was coming to pass is that this night, was going to be the beginning of the end of Egypt. This phrase, out of Egypt, God was going to stamp it and stamp it and stamp it on his people again because what was going to make it unique, see, he tells them if and when, but he's telling them you shall henceforth return no more that way. Now, in Exodus, what makes it unique here? It's because that little thing called the Passover, and he says, you take the blood and you put it on the sides and the top, meaning the blood is going to be applied then, and you go back no more. And as spiritually, we can look at that. Once the blood is applied, you take his name. Don't look back at Egypt no more. You got no business going back to Egypt. So that's why he's telling them if and when your king says, I'm going to send you back to Egypt as a pretense to buy horses. You do not do it. First and foremost, don't put your might in military. Put your might in me. And I've told you, don't go back. So from 1240, uh, 1241, mark it down. 1241, start from right there. God told them 56 more times. It's weeded. It's seeded right through the word of God. 56 times more out of Egypt. I took you out of Egypt. Don't go back. Don't go back to Egypt. I delivered you from Egypt. 
I didn't deliver you. I put you under the blood. Do not go back to Egypt. That's why he's telling them, don't, if you have a king and the king sends you to Egypt, you do not go. You disobey the king and do not go back to Egypt. He's telling them this, if and when. This is only if and when, but God is anointing Moses to tell the children of Israel this. Moses says, I'm not going with you, but the king is too, uh, if the king that you get, these are the rules that he has got to live by. So he's telling them, don't do this, don't do this. It's repeated. This is about the Passover. Don't go back. The blood's been applied. Do not go back. Don't go back. He's telling them in verse 17, Neither shall he multiply wise to himself, that his heart should be turned away. Neither shall he multiply to himself silver or gold. And Solomon is the one that naturally would come to our mind. And this is what Solomon says that's so frightening to me. So I was great, and I increased more than all that was before me in Jerusalem. And also, my wisdom remained with me. Solomon says, I knew it, and I knew it. And the danger of it is, I knew I was doing wrong. My wisdom remained with me. I'm the wisest it's ever been. And not only that, God gave me the wisdom that I have. And But Solomon is telling us, my wisdom remained with me. And God is telling them, tell the king that it's not about this personal status. It is not about how much gold and how much wealth you have. Or do not multiply wives to yourself. God is telling them, and it's, our, our world, I think, is just so twisted now. For it is, it is really, I think, has turned completely around. When God created Adam and Eve, he told Adam, you cleave unto your wife. And if it's ever been turned around, it is, it all the, I think all the weight is put on the woman. If you love the man, then you gotta stay with him. What about the men? I mean, God told Adam, you cleave to your wife. And then you do that. You see about your wife. You cleave unto her. And then, but here again, he's telling them, do not multiply wives to yourself. It's not about how the big man you are. You take one wife. You love her. You cherish her for the treasure she is. And you keep her. And he's telling the king, you do this. If and when you have a king, this is for what he must do. He must do this. He's telling them in 19, and it shall be with him, and he shall, no, um, verse 18, it shall be with him that when he sitteth on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. Now, this truly intrigued me, and Brother Boyd spoke on this not long ago, but he said, he shall write a copy. Now, the word copy here to us means double. That's literally what it means. So he's taken, and then he says, he's telling the king, this is the responsibility of the king. He says he has to take, God anointed the Levitical priesthood to be the scribes of the law. They must be the ones that would guarantee the authenticity, as we would say, of this holy word. They was the ones the king had to go to, and what he wrote better match what the Levitical priesthood gave to him. Now, bring that to us. Don't judge me cruel for what I'm fixing to say. God repeatedly told us 
Do not let no man deceive you. We are repeatedly told, but they are good people. I'm telling you what people are spiritually fed day in and day out across America. They go home, they never even look in the Word to see if what they are told spiritually is the truth. God is telling the king, what you read and what you know better be a complete double of what the Levitical priesthood has given to you. And it is your responsibility, king, to make sure it matches. And they, and they just say, well, what's God going to do with them? Or what is God going to do with them? He's telling us, me, what I hear that man preach, I better not take it as gospel. I love him with all of my heart. It is my responsibility to look into this word and to say what thus saith the Lord is what thus saith the Lord says. And it better match what thus saith the Lord says because it is my. That's why I spoke to him and I said it is, God said it is, uh, if they got the, the, they got Moses speaking of the law and the prophets, let them hear, let them hear them. So he's telling us, he says in 18, the king had to do this. If and when, we're only if and when, if it ever comes to this point, the king has got to do this. He has got to physically take the law, write it out. But I'm the king. I can designate somebody to do this for me. No, you can't. You have got to do this yourself. You have got to spend time, O king, to write this law out yourself. He must write a copy. And in the end, I repeat it again, it had better match. What was given to you, it had better match. It has got to match, verse 18. Now, 19, it says, And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, not just while he's a king, all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of the law and these statutes, to do them. Not just do as I say, but do them. Do them. Read this. Keep it with you all the days of your life. Not just take and write it and read it and just study it and just say, well, I've got it. That's the end of it. No, you've got to do it. You have got to do it. Because really, this is the way I see it, O king. You are going to learn how to govern others by learning how to govern yourself in this word. This word would teach you. This word is going to teach you. That is how you are going to do it. Because you can't take. Because the same word that applies to your brethren is going to apply to you, O king. You're not above this law. You're not above it. You are not above it. Verse 20, that his heart be... Lifted not up above his brethren that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left to the end that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Now, that he may not think I'm the king, God handpicked me. I'm something else. Oh, no. Oh, no. God said, you better realize your responsibility. You have a lot placed on you. And therefore, you better realize everything that has come your way. You have so much responsibility that's placed on you. Now, I have said it, 
and I believe it, and I think you would agree with me, we live in a world of extremes. And it's just nobody wants to be balanced. If you want to go crazy left or crazy right, yeah, I'm down with it. But if you just want to come, love your wife, love your children, love your pastor, forget you, Jack. I'm sorry if your name's Jack. I'm just a, <laughs> just an expression. But this is the way I look at it. That he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. Only time spent in this word is going to keep you from the extremes. It's going to keep you balanced. Because king, if you will take this word and you will go to closet and you will read it and you will pray and you will not just pull scriptures out and try to make a doctrine on one scripture. If you will balance this whole word and study it, it will keep you from the extremes. That way, if someone comes to you and says, what about this or what about that? Well, what about it? I'm looking for a balance. I'm not going left or I'm not going right. That's not the point. The point is I want to be balanced in a world of extremes. And God is saying that he wouldn't go left, he wouldn't go right, if the king would stay in this word and he would keep it with him all the days of his life and not only keep it with him, but if he would do the principles written in this word, that it would keep him from the extremes because they're here. They're everywhere you look in every facet of life. They are here. The more extreme, seem like the more better. Everybody agrees with, seem like, but, God is saying, do not do that. Now, this is just saying, if and when, Moses is telling them, if and when it comes to that, this is the stipulations that I want the king to follow. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. This is the time that Israel, that's what I'm saying, this is, they was in Egypt 430 years Moses comes, God delivers them with a mighty hand, okay? They get to the promised land. What I come up with is 370 years later. They're saying, now we want a king. Physically, we want a king. Samuel, his story is truly amazing to me, even his birth, really. I'm telling you, if his mother, I mean, what truly, truly has always really amazed me is that she dedicated him to God even before he was conceived. That has always just been amazing to me. But here is Samuel, and what I want to read is... Start at verse 5 in 1 Samuel chapter 8. But this, you can just see the hurt in Samuel, but you can see the mercy in the Lord speaking to Samuel. This is all the elders are gathered together, and 
verse 4 says, They came unto Samuel and to, to Ramon. Verse 5 picks up and says, And they said unto him, Now they're speaking really to one of the most righteous men in the word of God. Behold, thou art old. You know, I don't know. I mean, if if God could have just let him took a little lightning bolt and zip. I mean, they are talking to a true, holy man of God. These are God's people. These ain't the heathen talking to him. These are God's anointed people. Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. We want to be like the world. Now they're really saying it for true. This ain't, this ain't pretense anymore. They're just flat out telling them, we want to be like the world. Verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and Samuel prayed unto the Lord. Verse 7, and the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people. This is that paradox I was telling you about. And they, that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Verse 8, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they also unto thee. And God has just been so merciful unto him and just said, it's not you, Samuel. They forsaken me, and they have forsaken you. Verse 9, now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that should reign over them. One thing about the Lord, before judgment is pronounced, you are going to have a warning. God is going to give a chance. How that chance comes, it may, I don't know, but, I, but this I do know about the Lord. God is full of mercy. Some seems to only have one chance. Some seems to have many. That is not for me to judge. God alone is sovereign. But he told Samuel, they want a king, you give them a king. But before you give them a king, you tell them exactly what it is going to be like. Compromise at what price you fixing to find out. And he tells them, he says, in verse 10, and Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked him of a king, verse 11, and this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for chariots to be in his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots, and he will appoint them captains over thousands and captain over fifties, and he will set them 
He set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. Wait a minute. <laughs> the most precious thing. I don't, know, I don't know else how to word this. That's why I've said all the time that I have come here, my sons, Tyson, Britt, and Braxton, has had the privilege to sit under one pastor. And I have told him, that is the most precious thing that me and Joy will ever possess is our children. And Samuel told them from the get-go, he is going to take your sons I'm not discriminating from the, from the ladies, but this is just where Samuel started in the story. He is going to take your sons. And Israel just stands there. Read on, Samuel. Compromise at what price? All the men go with him. Go with the king. We want to be like the world. So what if it cost our sons? Take them. And then he's saying in 13, and he will take your daughters to be confectionaries. He's going to make cooks to be bakers. He will take the most precious thing. What are you going to hug at night? What are you going to put in bed? Where's the stories about you telling them about how many times that your ancestors that you buried in Egypt and all the blood that was spilled there and the people that was whipped and all the time and the anguish and the heartache that you went through and all the miracles that you've seen, just what it took to get you to this point. And at night when you go in an empty room that was your son and your daughter, but we want to be like the world, but it's okay. I want to be like the world compromise at what price at what price do I want to give up at what price do I want to give him when he's telling us the very most precious thing that you have that's the first thing that's going to be taken when you go into their rooms and they're not there what are you going to do what are you going to do these stories of victory that your ancestors has, has told to you now are going to die. They're going to say, Egypt, what Egypt? What about Egypt? We don't know no stories of Egypt. And then he says, it gets even worse. Then he's going to take your fields. Look at the blood that was spilled. God repeatedly told the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm going to give you a land. Told Abraham. I've joked so many times, and he told Abraham, you go outside and you go to the camel and you take the GPS off the camel because you don't know where you're going. I am going to be the one that points you where to go. I'm going to give you a land. And they said, the king wants our land? He can have our land just so we can be like the world. 
We can be like other nations around us. That's all we desire. We want to be like the world. That's all I hope for. Take my son. Take my daughter. My field, you can have it. Dead inheritance means nothing to me. You can have it. Take the fields, the vineyards, everything, all the labor, all the time and the toil. Compromise? I'm not talking back then. I'm talking about right now. Right now. People think I can give up just a little bit. I can think I can give up a little bit and it won't cost me nothing. It'll cost me everything. Everything. The enemy thinks all I got to do is give in just a little bit to make life easier. No. Giving in makes life so much harder. Samuel is telling them, look what the enemy is going to do. You're thinking that the king is going to make everything better. You read this whole complete story. He will take, he will take, he will take. That's all the story is. He will take, he will take, he will take. And Israel's just standing there and just says, we want to be like the world. Compromise at what price? And then he finally goes on and Samuel goes on. And I, and I don't know how much grief Samuel must be feeling at this time. And he's just telling them and he goes on. And I'm not going to read it all, but he finally goes down to the 17th verse and the very last phrase, and he and ye, all that's left is me, but you're going to be a servant. But the word servant there means slave. And I can't, I, I remember the time I was just sitting in my house and I'm just sitting there thinking about this story years ago. And the, 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 the phrase just come to me, you can't leave Canaan and go to Egypt and not be made a slave. And it's just said, you cannot compromise. All this is going to be taken and you, you're left. You will be made a slave. And what is Israel thinking? And after Samuel just turned himself inside out, trying to convince Israel, you do not want to do this. And they just stand there and says, give us a king. We want a king. And they says, look, he's going to take your sons and your daughters and your land that your ancestors has bled and died and buried. And they marched around for 40 years and kept burying them by the thousands just to get to a land that all they would do is hear about. And you're willing just so easy just to give it up just so you can compromise a little bit and think it's going to be okay. But I'm telling you, he said, it's not going to be okay. You just compromise a little bit and just see where it's going to get you. And he's telling you, the very most precious thing you have will be taken from you. And they're just thinking, I just want to be like other nations. I want to be like the world. I want to be like the world. And he says, you can't do this. I said, listen, old man, you're old. You're not with it anymore. We, we want to be like the world. You're too old. You just, just go on, Samuel. In fact, we don't even want God to lead us anymore. We want a man to lead us. We want a man. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that was the paradox. God said, you know what? They've rejected me enough. You know what, Samuel? Just give them a man. Just give them a man. 
They've rejected me. All they're going to do, and he can, I don't know. I don't know what it must have been like when I believe that I, I truly, you read of Samuel, if there ever was, and I hate to use the word perfect, but if there ever was a perfect servant in the word of God, it was Samuel from the beginning to the end. And he tells Israel, you don't want to do this. You don't want to compromise in this area. Do not do this. Don't compromise. Don't give up. Don't give in. God has led you so far, so long. You have trusted God. You have asked for a king at the wrong time. Samuel, you old man, just get out of the way. But I'm going to tell you, God told them in no uncertain terms. But listen to me. He told them by the mouth of his servant what was going to happen. They can't stand on the other side of this say, nobody told us. No. By the word of his prophet, he told Israel what would happen. And he told them, you read And God even said, when you come crying to me, this is my words, when you come crying to me, I'm not going to hear you. I told you what was going to happen. How can you do that? I have three sons of my own. If I had a daughter, I would love her with just as much passion as I love my sons. And if he come and told me, You're doing something that's going to cost you your son's salvation. And I told him, you know what? That's okay. He should take his fist and knock me side the head. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And Israel, God's own people, I can't emphasize that enough. He's not speaking to somebody that can't relate to this. Talking to God's own people. And they keep saying, check one. Yeah, yeah. Sons, check off. Daughters, check off. The land that I have yearned so long. I've heard so many times. I remember starting in Egypt hearing about this land of milk and honey. Oh, he can have that. We don't need that. He can have that. He can have it. He can have it. Compromise. At what price? At what price are we willing to pay just to compromise? I want to end, but I don't want to end like this. I want to end with the one that did not compromise, that did not give in, that was our role, our strength, our hope, our peace. And I want to go, if you want to, turn with me to the fifth chapter of Revelation. And I want to speak on something here in the next few moments. The fifth chapter of Revelation, what it is, this is really and truly the most awesome worship session ever ever recorded in history right here the fifth chapter 
of Revelation. I'll start at verse 2, fifth chapter of Revelation. Verse 2, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, speaking of John, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to even look on the book. Verse 5, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book, not just to look, but to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and one of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Now, what I want to do, John is weeping, he tells us. Verse 2, it says, the strong angel proclaims who's worthy. And then when they look, they find no man. Verse 5 tells us that one of the angels, or one of the elders rather, said unto me, Weep not. But well, what I want to go to first, it says there was a lamb in verse 6, there was a lamb as it had had been slain. In the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Now, heaven, we know this is a vision that God has given. And John is seeing this vision and stood a lamb as it had been slain. Now, we know that heaven is a place of reward. But I believe God is showing John through this vision that somehow, some way, I don't know how this is going to unfold, but God is saying, because he tells us in verse 5 that the, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. This cost. Our salvation came with a price. It says he has prevailed, stood a lamb as it had been slain. Now, what this lamb is... Is it the Lord? I don't really know. I personally believe stood a lamb as it had been slain. This is just a theory of mine. I'm not saying you have to believe it. In fact, this whole session that I'm on in with is a theory of mine. There again, you do not have to accept it. As it had been slain. But I believe when we get to heaven... As the Bible records here, there will be a reminder. The Bible says here, a lamb as it had been slain. There will be some kind of a symbol that this salvation cost. Now, I believe it could be 
as simple as when the enemy thought that he had tricked Adam and Eve, I believe that the animal that paid its price then, I believe it was a lamb. I believe God could have used that lamb and this could be a symbol of that lamb because when God, the, the analogy is the before the line had to be a lamb first, then he became the line of the tribe of Judah. But the lamb is saying, here is the lamb in the midst of the elders as it had been slain. For John is seeing this, and the symbol is there, is this salvation caused. So he's saying, but the one thing that I noticed, that in the beginning of the book of Revelation, the Bible tells us that God sent an angel. We know that from, I think it's verse 1 even, that God sent an angel to John and and signified it by this angel. As we would say, God sent an angel to John to stay with John throughout all of this. But my question to you is why in verse 5, why in verse 5 does the elder have to tell John to weep not? Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. This is why I believe the elder told John and not the angel. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but one of the things I love is the 38th chapter of Job. And what it is, is because God just let Job go. And I've heard a lot said about Job. God in his mercy just let Job go. The 38th chapter is when God tells Job, basically the phrase, this is what I love, and God answered Job out of the whirlwind. You've heard me say that a lot. But when you keep reading, God asked Job, where was you when I stretched out, when I made the heavens, when I laid the foundations of the earth? But there's also a comment when God is, I hate to use the word rebuke, but when God has given this dialogue back to Job, he makes this phrase, he said, and the morning star sang at the beginning of creation. So here it is, we see the angels singing when God takes and creates the foundation of the earth and creates creation. Here, we have the angels singing. But Luke tells us when Jesus was born, Luke said all the angels did was that they praised God. He said they did not sing. The Bible says. So the way I get it, for over 2,000 years, I don't find, it's in there. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I don't find nowhere in there the Bible records the angels singing, but at creation to the fifth chapter. That's why I believe when we get to this, and he's telling him, there is one worthy, and that is the lamb, the one that did not compromise, that did not give in, and that is why that he tells him, In verse 9 of 5, he says, And they sung a new song. 
And they, they go on. He says, Thou art worthy to take the book to open the seals thereof. And I won't read all of it. But he goes on. And that's why the songs have been recorded in verse 11. And he says, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels. And I heard the voice of many angels. So I think that is why that even though God put an angel with John, that is why the elder had to tell John to weep not. That the angel says, you know what? It's been over 2,000 years, but I'm going to go with my fellow angels. And it's been a long time since I had the opportunity to sing. But this man that did not compromise and did not come in and did not just give in to every little thing, he overcame the enemy. And when his body lay in the tomb, he just took, he took and went to the the enemy, got back what was his. In three days, he resurrected his body. He came back, he came back, he got everything he had. And then we see this, and it is the elder and not the angel. So the angel at this point is gathered with the other angels, I believe. And that is why John said, I beheld the voice of many angels. This was when you read the whole fifth chapter of Revelation. And what is so um, unique about it is because why he's worthy to loose the seals because what this literally is It is the beginning of the end of the judgment of sin. That's why they are so happy. For so long, nobody was worthy to open the seals. And now they say, before, sixth chapter, that starts it. But the fifth chapter, they said, before we start it, we are going to have a worship session like has never been before, ever recorded in history. And then when you read the number, I believe that's just a number not even to be counted. John said, they're there. Every one of them in this vision is recorded worshiping. And John said, to the one that just didn't give in. And I heard the voice of many angels, many angels. And they worshiped the one that did not give in, did not compromise, I can't convince myself if I give up just a little bit, it, is, it, is, it, is, it won't cost nothing because it will, because it will. But the one that paid the price, he alone, he alone is worthy, and I'm thankful for it. God bless you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.